We acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we've recorded this podcast on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and the relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Hello and welcome to Leveling Up, your leadership podcast brought to you by professional and continuing education at the University of Adelaide. The podcast will bring you all the tools, tips and insights to help you unlock your leadership potential and get the most from your team. We'll bring you stories from South Australian leaders and the latest leadership thinking and ideas from the university's facilitators to provide you with the essential guide to levelling up your leadership. Hello and welcome to this episode of Leveling Up, your leadership podcast. I'm Gary Edwards and I'm a communication coach and a facilitator for the University of Adelaide's Professional and Continuing Education. As a former courtroom lawyer, negotiation expert and a professional magician, I'll draw on these unique experiences in today's episode and explore how influential communication can help you master the conversations you have with your colleagues, clients and customers. So let's have a think about what is influential communication. The reality is no matter what your job is, we all spend about 70% of our time communicating. So in effect, we're all professional communicators before we're anything else. And we're all trying to influence something or someone. We're all trying to achieve a result, build some relationships, and maybe take people on a journey. And I always think that influence is about change, that if you haven't changed someone in some way, then perhaps you haven't influenced them. Sometimes you change their mind or you change their beliefs, but sometimes you just change their behaviour. They do what you need them to do. And leadership is also about change and about influence. So I tend to see those three words as basically being the same thing. Influence, leadership, change, they're all the same thing. You're trying to lead someone else from point A to point B. Now, there's two ways of thinking about influence. One is the usual way of persuasion, trying to persuade someone of an idea to get them to believe what you're saying and to follow your agenda or to do what you need them to do. But I also think it's very important for leaders to be able to influence people without necessarily having an end point in mind. For example, you might walk into a meeting and you've got no particular goal, but your presence and your ability to ask good questions or to just direct the conversation one way or the other helps to influence that conversation so that they end up with a good result for everyone involved. Now, my background, I used to be a courtroom lawyer, and in that situation, you learn a lot about persuading and influencing people. But you also realise that it's not just trying to convince someone to take a particular point of view, you're actually trying to get them to see things your way or to create an outcome that maybe you hadn't thought of before but is still beneficial. In the negotiation area, I've spent some time working with police hostage negotiators, which is a very serious area of trying to influence someone else. There's a lot of emotion involved, and that's where I really understood the importance of emotion in trying to influence people. We make decisions based on how we feel rather than what we think. We take into account all the logic that's involved in a situation, but then we look at that and we think about it and we go, how do I feel about that? Am I comfortable with that? Do I want to do this thing? Do I trust this person? Do I trust this idea? So when we try to influence someone, we're trying to get them to feel the right way about whatever we think might be possible in this situation. And I used to be a professional magician as well. It was a hobby since I was about seven years old and I did it for about 20 years as a part-time professional occupation as well. 
The interesting thing about that is that as a magician, you really do get inside people's heads and you create certain beliefs in their mind. So you are literally influencing how they think about what you're trying to show them. And to do that, they have to trust you. Now, they already know you're a magician, so they know that essentially they shouldn't trust you. And so the way in which you are able to be a good magician is to get them to trust you enough in that moment for that circumstance. And the way you do that is by being able to provide them with great clarity about what you're doing. If there is a a saying in magic, which is that confusion is not magic. If people are confused about what you're trying to do, if they think that you are uh, trying to fool them, you're hiding something, if they think that they don't understand where they started from and where they ended up, then there's no magic involved. They're not surprised. They're not They're not delighted by what happened to them. And that's where I learned that influence in the real world is the same. If people are confused about what you're trying to sell them or talk to them about, they're not going to buy it. Again, there's a saying in the world of sales that a confused mind doesn't buy. So in influence generally, the starting point is always clarity, being clear about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and your motivation in doing that. Because if you don't have that clarity, people don't get a picture in their mind about what it is that you're trying to get them to do. As I said before, overall, you're trying to get people to trust you and to trust your ideas. And transparency is the basis, the foundation of trust. If you're not transparent, people will say, I think you're hiding something. So transparency is the basis of trust. Because then the other person essentially says, you're allowing me to make up my own mind here. I'm not trying to, you're not trying to persuade me. You're not trying to force me into some opinion that I don't want. You're actually asking me and allowing me to make up my own mind. Aristotle was a Greek philosopher who spoke a lot about human communication. And he came up with what are now called the three appeals of Aristotle. The three appeals, how we appeal to people, how we get them to believe what we're saying. And the three appeals that he came up with are the Greek words logos, pathos, and ethos. And the word logos gives us our English word logic. So it's all the facts, it's the data, it's the statistics, it's the rationale. And we live in a world where we try to persuade and influence people through logic. Pathos gives us the words sympathy and empathy. So they mean emotion. So that's about emotions, concerns, fears, passions, and how we feel about a situation, not just what we think about the logic of it. And ethos, of course, gives us the English word ethics. So that's very much about character, identity, relationships, integrity. In other words, who you are as opposed to what you're saying. So the three things that go together here are what's the logic of what you're saying, how do I feel about that, and who are you? And as I mentioned before, what we say about something, the logic of it, is actually the least persuasive part of it. People make decisions based on how they feel. And when they look at you and they think about your character and your integrity, that influences how they feel about what you're saying. I'm sure we can all think of people that say things that sound logical, but when you look at who they are, you think, I'm not going to believe a single word you say because of your character or because of your lack of integrity. And so people look at you and they look at what you're saying and they balance them up. Now, if they have what I would call active trust in you, if they truly believe pretty much everything you say, then the fact that your proposal or your idea maybe isn't fully formed or they don't understand all of it, they're more likely to go along with it anyway. On the other hand, if they don't distrust you but they don't have that total 
confidence and trust in you, then they're going to focus more on what you're saying and trying to work out the details of that. So do we use influential communication all the time? Well, yes and no. I mean, if you're standing around a barbecue with someone in their backyard, you're probably not trying to influence them very much. You don't have any particular agenda. We're just talking, just having a discussion about the world. But I guess in some ways, when we have that discussion, we're trying to see what other people think about certain topics of sport or politics. We're trying to influence them at a very low level. Uh, I remember recently having a conversation about football with a friend of mine, and we were just talking about why the team was winning and why they weren't and whose fault that was and what should be done about it. And so we had a slight difference of opinion on that, and we were just trying to talk each other around Uh, The fact that we didn't end up agreeing or end up with one outcome didn't matter, but we were just trying to influence each other slightly. But obviously it works a lot more or counts a lot more in the workplace where we are trying to get things done. As a leader, we are very much focused on three things, vision, execution, and culture. So when it comes to vision, we have to be able to paint that vision of the future that is going to influence people to think, I'd like to go there. They need to know, where am I going? Is it worth going there? And do I have the tools and resources to get me there? So what's the vision and how are we going to execute on that? And when we're leaders, we're not only trying to paint the vision, we're trying to help people see that the execution of that, the ability to go from A to B, or the ability to grow the business to twice the size that it used to be, is something that's possible. Something that they can look at and say, I think we can do that. I can see the way to do that. And if we're able to do that well, then we've influenced them. We are then able to take them on that journey. And the third part of that is culture, which is very much about the relationships that we have with people. And as I said before, people listen to what you say and they'll think about your vision, but then they'll look at you and they'll say, do I want to go on this journey with this person? Are you the sort of person that I can believe and trust? Will you support me? Will you help me to grow as a person and in my role? Or is this something that you're doing only for your own benefit? And so when we try to build culture, we're doing that as a way of influencing people. If we have a great culture in a workplace, then they are more likely to go along with what we're asking them to do. Now, a lot of the time people wonder about influence and think that maybe it sounds a little bit like manipulation. Well, I used to be a lawyer and a magician, so I guess there's a little bit of manipulation perhaps in all of that. And what's the difference between influence and manipulation? Well, it's a bit of a continuum really, but the word manipulation is actually value-free. It comes from the Latin word manus, meaning hand. So it really just means moving something, as in moving something around with your hand. And if you've ever been involved in research, you would have heard the term manipulating the variables. In any situation, there are a number of variables. And if you arrange them in one way, you'll get one result. And if you arrange them in a different way, you'll get another result. And that's the same when we communicate. There are a number of variables. I can ask two questions and make three statements, or I can ask four questions and make one statement, or I can sit there quietly and say nothing for the first five minutes. So there's a number of variables when we speak to people, and when we manipulate those variables, when we ask a question or we acknowledge something that someone has said, rather than pointing out what's wrong with it, then we have changed those variables. So we've manipulated it in the good sense. So where does manipulation come from in the bad sense? Well, manipulation, as we often think about it, is really unethical influence. So influence is a broad range of behaviours. The manipulation that we think is bad is unethical influence. 
And it becomes unethical when two things happen. Firstly, when it's for our benefit only and not for their benefit. And secondly, when we're doing things and they don't know about it. In other words, there's no transparency. We're doing things behind the scenes or for a particular reason and the person that you're trying to talk to don't understand what that is. And you see this sometimes in the workplace where you get leaders and bosses and managers who, because they're in that role, they believe they know what's best and they're just trying to push people and get the business working in a particular direction. And so they don't tend to be very transparent about it. They tend to just make things happen. They tell people what they want them to know. They don't tell them everything. They just tell them enough information to get them to work in a certain way. But the problem with that, of course, is that workers and employees talk to each other and they find out that essentially they've been manipulated. They've only been told part of what's happening. And so in those sort of situations, even though the person, the manager might have good intentions, often it falls apart because the other people feel as though they have been unethically manipulated. They weren't told everything that was going on and it wasn't for their benefit, it was solely for the benefit of their employer. So let's have a look at some ideas on how we can be more influential. As I said before, we spend a lot of our time talking to people, so a lot of what we do happens in conversations, in the conversations that we have every day. And I always think there are three types of conversations in the business world. There's the external conversation, which are the ones that we have with the people out there in the outside world, our customers, stakeholders, other businesses. There's the internal conversations, which are the conversations we have with our staff and our employees and each other. And then there's what I call the inner conversation, which is that endless conversation that you have with yourself inside your own head, which I think is a topic for another day. But when we're trying to influence people, we're trying to achieve an outcome and we use words to get that outcome. And we tend to think that there's a direct connection between what we say and what the other person does. But as I mentioned before, there's actually a couple of steps in between. So the words that we use create a picture in the mind of the other person. We say something and they think something that may or may not be exactly what we meant. And I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we've said something to someone and you can tell they haven't quite got it. And then an hour later or two days later or a week later, they'll say, oh, that, oh, that's what you meant by it. And you think, yeah, that's exactly what I said. Why didn't you get that straight away? And the reason for that is because people already have their own little pictures inside their head about the world. And so they don't always listen to every word that we say, or maybe we haven't expressed ourselves well. And so their picture stays in their head, and the picture that you'd like them to have never quite gets there. It goes in there, it goes into their mind, but it doesn't quite reach that inner sanctum where their own ideas are. So the third step is, once they've got a picture, how do they feel about that? So if you are able to give them a very clear picture of where to go, or what you're going to do, then they have to think how do I feel about that? Do I want to do that? So the words lead to a picture, the picture leads to a feeling, and the feeling leads to an outcome. So if we want to be influential, we've almost got to work backwards. We've got to say, what's the outcome I want here? And in doing that, we have to think about two outcomes, by the way, the outcome of the result that we want, the task-related outcome, but also the relationship outcome, particularly in the workplace. How do I want this person to see me and how do I want our relationship to be at the end of this project? Not only where do I want the project to go. So we need to work backwards. What's the outcome we want? Therefore, what feeling do we want people to think about that? Do we want them to be worried about it? Do we want them to feel that they're going to be on their own and have no support? Or do we want them to feel that this is doable and that they'll have the resources they need? 
And in order to get to that feeling, we need to be able to show them a clear picture of how they might do that so that they get that good feeling that we want them to have. And then we pick and choose the words right from the start. Because just saying what we think from our point of view may not quite get there. Now, there's a couple of strategies you can use for this. One is a structure called format, which is spelt for the number four, M-A-T, by a woman called Bernice McCarthy, who's an American educator. And you can look her up online. There's a lot of detail about this structure. And format was originally invented by Bernice as an educator, as a way to put together an educational program. But it's now become a very commonly used structure for any type of presentation. And it's called format because Bernice McCarthy said there are fundamentally four questions that people want to know the answer to. So when we're trying to paint that vision for people, these are the four questions that we have to be clear about in our own mind so that we can hopefully be clear in their mind. The four questions are, what are you suggesting we do? Why is that important right now? How do we do it? And what happens if we do that? I mentioned before that people want to know, where are we going? Is it worth it? And can I do it? And that's where these four questions come in. What are we doing? What's the end result? Why is that important? So is that worthwhile? How do we do it? So how do we do it? Can I do it? Do I have the resources? And what if? What if we do it? And the flip side of that is, what if we don't do it? What's the benefits, the pros and cons of doing it or not doing it? So they're the four questions that Bernice McCarthy came up with, which are now really embedded in a lot of the communication that we use. And there's also a fifth question, which is, what next? So if this is the plan, what's the next step? What, what needs to happen today, tomorrow or next week? So that people, again, can see a very clear pathway and something that they can feel comfortable with. So our ability to create a clear vision really helps when we're trying to be influential with people. The second thing we need to do is to address their concerns. Because while we're saying to them, here's why we should do this, they're also thinking, yeah, but I've got some reasons why not. I've got some reasons why I don't want to do it. Maybe I'm already too busy. Maybe I disagree with it. Maybe I don't think it'll get the result that we want. So we need to ask really good questions of other people to try and understand and uncover their concerns so that we can then address those concerns. What we're trying to do is to get people to change and people have a barrier to change. They have various barriers, but a lot of the time people don't change, not because they can't see the benefit, they can't see the outcome. It's more that they're worried about the risk. The two fundamental drivers of human behaviour are pain and gain. What I've got to gain, what I've got to lose. In the workplace, they're known as risk and reward. And this is how we weigh things up all the time. And whilst we think we look at the positive side and we tend to focus on the reward, in reality, we look at the risk. We are more driven by not wanting to lose something than by what we can gain. And sometimes that loss is tangible. I don't want to spend more time on this. This is going to cost me too much money. I'm too stressed already. But sometimes it's intangible. Things like, I don't want other people to look at me differently as a result of this. Or I've been here longer than you have. How come you seem to be telling me what to do? Sometimes it's about their status or the lack of clarity about where they're going to end up personally rather than what the project's about. So we need to address their concerns. What are the barriers that are likely to stop them from moving forward, either tangible or intangible? And the third step is how do we overcome those barriers? 
because when people are worried about moving forward, it's essentially that they don't feel safe in doing that. And the human brain is fundamentally set up to keep us safe. And so we don't want to move forward because we're okay where we are and the future is uncertain and that might be worse. And so we need to be really clear about how we might get that person to move forward. And in order to do that, the key to this is really helping them to take some little steps because people can take short steps and that feels safe or it feels safer than taking a big one. And if they take a small step and they feel okay about that, then they're more likely to take another one and then another one at which point they also realise, hey, I think I'm committed to this. I think I can do this. This seems to be working well. So the three things are to be able to paint the vision for them using that format structure that I mentioned before, to be able to ask good questions to understand and address their concerns and to help them to take small steps so that they feel capable but also that they feel safe in moving forward. So I hope you found that useful. Influential communication is a real passion of mine. It's been something that I've looked at for a long time because ultimately we're all involved in dealing with other people, interacting with each other and trying to, in a very ethical way, influence people to not only our result but to a good result for all of us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leveling Up, your leadership podcast. For tools, tips and insights to level up your leadership, subscribe to this podcast and follow professional and continuing education at the University of Adelaide on LinkedIn.